everyone should always know their numbers because this is a numerically predictable business. So if you're going to do this for a living, you should know at any given point, what's your pipeline? How many first interviews do you have in your pipeline? And it works. Okay, welcome to The Resilient Recruiter. This is your host, Mark Whitby. My very special guest today is Anne Zaslow-Retheber. Anne has been a recruiter since 1996, one year longer than me, and she's the president of International Search Consultants, a global executive recruiting firm launched in 1999. ISC has a team of 15 talented recruiters and has become one of the country's most reputable search firms earning more recommendations on LinkedIn than any other third-party recruiting agency in the United States. And thank you so much for doing this. Thanks, Mark, for having me. I told my wife, Lisa, that I was interviewing you today. She sends her love. Oh, I just adore her. I thought I'd met my long lost best friend when we met. <laughs> I just really like her. <laughs> well, So you came to visit me in Scotland last year and yep. you had a great philosophy about why you're traveling to meet people. Could you share that? Do you even remember that conversation? Sure. Well, I, I just, yeah. you know, I just, we love to travel and we, and we travel quite a bit, especially during the summers now that our youngest is in school. And I just think, you know, there's some saying, and I don't know the exact word, but the days, what you spend during the days is what makes your, makes up your life. What's it? You know what I'm talking? What is that famous saying? I don't know the saying, but I, I completely like understand what you, what you do for a, a moment, for an hour, for a day compiled makes up your life. Of course. You know? And I just think that over the years, the, one of the things that I would have done differently is I spent so much time working with people that didn't feel right, that it for different reasons, for various reasons, it just, it wasn't wonderful. It doesn't have to be perfect, but it wasn't wonderful. And now I'm at a point in my life where I believe more than ever that time is the most valuable thing that any of us have. And I'm really yeah. at a point where I just refuse to work with people that I don't truly enjoy working with that, you know, and so when we travel, well, there's just no way I'm going to be in a country and not see someone that I truly enjoy working with. And when Robbie said he wanted to go to Ireland and Scotland, I thought Mark lives in Scotland. So there was just no way that we were going to be there and not carve out time to meet you live. Cause you know, my God, we blink and five years goes by. I just think to make and even though I feel we've always felt so connected because we Skype and it feels so connected, Skyping, but I still just thought, why not even forge those working relationships even stronger and just invest in the time? Because God knows, I mean, I've gone through 15 trainers before I connected with you, you know, and I just think when you find someone that you connect with and you respect and you and you like them as a person that it makes sense to invest in that working relationship. Oh, well, listen, I really appreciate you. And you know that client relationship ladder where you have prospect, customer, client, and advocate, and you've definitely become such a wonderful advocate and provided so many lovely referrals over the years, which I'm truly grateful for. 
Um, and this is our second interview. Yeah. And I will post the show notes to the or uh, in the show notes for this episode. I'll post a link to the previous episode because that was brilliant. You shared how you've achieved personal production of one hundred forty-four thousand dollars in a month. You told the story about your seventy-five thousand dollar placement. So those were great stories and and very very insightful. So if you want to, if anyone listening wants the link to re-listen to that conversation. It's at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash podcast. Um, and <clears throat> but I would love to ask you about a couple of things today. Sure. One is something you already alluded to, which is what you would have done differently when building your business if you knew then what yeah, you know now. Exactly. Right. And yeah. then secondly, uh, I would like to talk to you about remote working, which it was already something you were doing, but suddenly it's become super relevant yeah. now that the world is gripped by the coronavirus pandemic. Yeah. Um, but look, first, how, how has the virus affected you guys? What are you seeing and how are you responding? Well, the biggest thing is just probably about, honestly, 75% of our clients have just pulled their horns in and they're just not not doing any hiring. We had multiple searches that were put on hold a few weeks yeah. ago. And I, st I really believe this is going to get out. This is going to stop as quickly as it started mm -hmm. and things are going to really ramp up again very quickly. Um, but after doing this for 24 years, you know, September 11th was tough, but that wasn't such a, it's it still, the ramifications seem to be slower incoming and this just seemed like literally overnight it went from let's set we did we had i think we had 27 interviews lined up and everyone was you know not everyone not everyone probably about 20 percent 20 of those 27 were canceled so i think i think at this point and i'm noticing i'm getting a lot of emails from vendors they're not trying to sell anything they're just saying we're touching base and we're here. And yeah. I like that. So I have our whole team and, and I'm doing it as well. Just sending out messaging saying, I'm just touching base and letting you know I'm here. And most of, you know, 75% of our clients have pulled in their horns, but 25% are still actively filling critical fill roles. And rest assured, we're here and available either to strategize or just to commiserate on how crazy the world is right now. But I think it's important just to just to do that so that you're not always just available when you can sell something, but truly for long-term working relationships, just to extend that human touch and just say, this is, you know, we've never, none of us have ever experienced anything like this, but just to, because, you know, you do, develop relationships with people you work with. And I don't think it's right just to become radio silent if you're not going to make money this week. Yes, that is such an important point. I agree 100%. And yeah. what I'm telling, because pe people are asking me, you know, what should I do? Because, you know, if they're not hiring, they maybe don't want to talk to me. And I'm saying, look, it's more important than ever to keep close and stay in regular contact with your clients and just obviously be sensitive and in the way that you're approaching the conversation. Um, 
But like right now, go into a serious relationship building phase and don't worry about monetizing those conversations yet. Just focus on, you know, maintaining the communication, continuing to build trust and rapport, give support, or, you know, if there is anything you can do for them, of course, you know, we're going to maximize those opportunities. But if there isn't, then we still need to stay close because then when the upturn comes, which whether that's sooner or later, you know, it always comes back eventually. And if you've lost touch during that whole time, well, guess what? You know, you're, you don't have a relationship anymore and you're opening it up for your competitors to get in there. So, you know, just focus on the relationship now and selling later. And, you know, what you said was so powerful. You don't need to monetize it right now. And I think that's so powerful because to me, this is a golden opportunity to walk the walk and to say we're partners. And I have everyone on the team and myself, we're all making calls all day, every day this week, touching base. And I think that is such a tremendous opportunity for people to say, you know, I really do care about you. And I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm guessing there's a 99% chance you're not hiring right now, but I just wanted to reach out and see how you were doing. And people will remember that. And so what an opportunity to position ourselves differently than the other people that say, well, I think you don't need me, so I'm not going to mm. call you. I can't make money on you, as opposed to just calling. And so many people that I've called, yeah. I spent all day Friday making calls. The reception was so incredibly positive, Mark. Yeah. Uh, so many people we've worked with um, that are now working virtually that are crazy. They were like, yeah, I can't believe you're calling me. I normally get, you know, five calls a day, but no recruiters are calling me because they're figuring I'm not hiring. I can't believe you're calling me. And I'm like, well, yeah, I'm calling you. You know, we've talked occasionally over five years and, this is crazy. And I just wanted to reach out and see how you were doing. And every, I mean, everyone I connected with live, they were like, man, I will, you will be at the top of my list when we're hiring again. So I think it's just, wow, that's amazing. Thank but you for like, sharing. Yeah. Just human compassion. Just saying yes. you don't always have to make money on some off of a relationship. You can just have the working relationship because you like the person and you want to check on them. And I think it's a golden opportunity to walk that walk. You're so right. And and thank you for sharing your, your take on things. That's really valuable. Um, I, I mean, there are going to be recruitment companies that go out of business. And there's also going to be those ones that kind of just, you know, have radio silence and people don't hear from. And so, you know, when the upturn comes the, with the strategy you're following, you're going to at least protect those relationships. But if any, you may even find that you gain market share and, you know, are stronger um, down the road than, than you were even before this thing started. I will tell you, Mark, honestly, I truly believe we're going to gain market share just based on the live conversations and even the emails I've gotten from people I left voicemails to um, mm -hmm. that I didn't connect with live. The emails, I mean, have been effusive. They have been right. so positive. I just, 
I think it's the right thing to do. Life is so short yeah. and when you find people, you know, I, I'm not calling the ones that we haven't enjoyed working with. <laughs> but <laughs> I am calling the ones that we do enjoy working with. Right. But, you know, I just think um, good energy comes back to you. Yeah, absolutely. Plus, it, exactly. It's fun and it feels good and that we all need a boost right now, right? So yep. um, focus on the things we can control we can't control the economy. We can't control the virus, but we can control what actions we take and our, our attitude. So, you know, that's about all, all you can do. Um, yeah. in, interesting um, figures. Uh, there's a recruitment software company called Job Adder. They're an Australian-based company, but they're in the U.S. and the U.K. as well. And their uh, CEO just published something I, I saw on LinkedIn yesterday, which was... He basically gave an update on all of the jobs that are um, being recorded, like new orders or live job orders recorded on their software globally from all their thousands of users. And um, what was interesting from seeing that graph, I'll try and find it, find okay. it and put a link in and send, send it to you, Anne. But there was definitely a, a decline, like, I don't know, 30 or 40% uh, down in terms of the total volume of jobs. But what was it, the, the plus side of that, although that feels horrible when it's jobs are going away and interviews are being canceled, there was still interviewing activity and there were still, uh, you know, live, live orders. So it's not like it's disappeared completely. Um, yeah, I, I sold two retainers last week. You know, great. there's still some, critical fill roles that aren't yeah. going away. And obviously in healthcare, but we don't work in healthcare, but um, there's still some critical fill roles that are still being needed to fill, you know? So, yeah. So there you go. Yeah. So listen, um, let's talk about remote working because you have 15 people, all of whom are remote working from their own home office, right? Correct. Mm-hmm. So what, are the keys to making that sort of arrangement work? Because before you answer the question, and it's interesting because now companies are forced into it, but I've encouraged companies to consider it previously where they have only an office-based model where everyone works from the same office. And they've been very reluctant and or skeptical thinking, you know, we won't get the productivity from people they're not going to um, work as hard and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. There's lots of reasons why they didn't want to do it. Now they have to do it. Um, so what's your advice for making this work? Sure. And, you know, honestly, it just goes back to the basics. And to me, there's so many positives working virtually because you don't have the distractions. You don't have the overhead. And, the negatives in the past has always been synergy and holding people accountable. But to me, you know, we do, we do twice a week webinars as the team as a whole. And then daily, I'm constantly Skyping with different members of the team. And I think the whole thing is those basic business principles of, of staying on top of everything and holding your team accountable. Inspect what you expect it doesn't matter if we're sitting in the same room or if we're doing this, 
that as long as you can stay on top of it and stay on top of your numbers and be acutely aware of your numbers and what you need to do and hold everyone accountable, I love. I can't imagine taking the time, the energy, the gas to drive, all those things to drive to an office because there's so many massive benefits for having a team working remotely without the distractions, without all the negatives that I see when you have a, t- a group of people working together in one physical location rather than this, than this setup. So I think the main thing is, and you know, you can do, I mean, the standby for every sales team has always been the whiteboard. Now they have these interactive um, whiteboards where you can use them for team meetings and stuff. And I, I just love it. I think a lot of us have been doing this for a long time. And for the companies that are just getting into it, if not twice a week meetings, daily meetings, either at the beginning of the day, the end of the day, and just touching base, getting everyone lined out. Anything that you can do live, just about, you can do online with this amazing technology that we all have. Absolutely. So embrace it, get your head around it and say, you're still going to hold everyone accountable. You're still going to be a team. Um, you know, everyone you know in our team, they always talk about our amazing culture and such a feeling of camaraderie. And we're all virtually. I have two girls that are out of the country. But, you know, it works. That's awesome. So where, whereabouts are, are, you, are you guys based? All over the U.S. I mean, we okay. have, you know, I'm in Austin, Texas, and then we yeah. have them in Ann Arbor, Michigan, Denver, Colorado, Erie, Pennsylvania. And now we have two girls, one in Bogota and one in Chile. Wow. And it, and it works seamlessly. It's amazing, you know. That's cool. It's just amazing. But we just don't miss a beat. And. I don't know. It just seems, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking honestly, when this is over, Mark, we're going to see a lot of companies that used to be physically in one location that were forced to work remotely decide it works. Absolutely. And You're I so right. We're going to see an upsurge in that. And my we daughter will. had a really interesting perception on things yesterday. She was mm-hmm. saying, you know, the people are standing still and the earth is healing. And she was showing me all these satellite pictures of the earth. And it's amazing the pollution Mm. between 30 days ago and today, the pollution has so dramatically gone down. In Venice, the canals are running clear for the first time in 50 years. In China, you can hear the birds singing. It's crazy, but the earth is healing and and there's so many benefits from working virtually and not requiring people to get in cars or to get in planes to drive from one place to the other. And we're slowing down and I think we're going back to core values and not to diminish the serious health issues that many people are experiencing, but for many other reasons, it can really be considered a positive and that we're forced to slow down and to re-strategize and to really catch our breath rather than going mm-hmm. in really, because you know normally my life is based on 15 minute increments all day long you know i have boom 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 and this has really forced me to to take a step back and i'm seeing a lot of positives in that yeah absolutely i think you're right about that shift being permanent in the sense that um people will get used to working this way and then it will just feel normal 
companies will find ways of making it work. And then I think it's going to stick a lot more uh, remote working, a lot more doing, you know, meetings online and, and even interviews online and, yeah. and the whole recruitment process, yeah. I think is going to, is going to change radically because now companies are having to do a lot of video interviews, whereas before they have preferred to do things in person and, um, and realize actually that works just as well. Do we really need to, you know, do all these meetings? So yeah. And just what a wonderful thing that would be for our earth, for our environment you know, for pollution levels, for so many things. I think just um, hunkering down and saying, you know, we can work, we can do this virtually with the technology. I don't think we could have done it 20 years ago. But That's now, true. I mean, you and I developed a really good working relationship across the world. But just That's right. I felt, I mean, it was so wonderful meeting you live, but it wasn't that huge of a shift for me. Yeah. I got to meet your family, which was so cool. And I got to, you know, it was just so fun walking around the area and all that. But it's not like I, I felt this huge difference. Do you know what I'm saying? Meeting you live as opposed to just talking to you via Skype all these years. Yes, exactly. Yeah. No, I know yeah. what you're saying. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Since you're listening to this podcast, it tells me that you're someone who's interested in personal growth and business improvement. That's something we have in common. I really enjoy listening to podcasts, reading and listening to business books, watching TED Talks. But by far the most important investment I've made in my own development has been working with a coach. It started back in 1999, 2000, when I was working as a recruiter. I hired a coach and he helped me to double my billings in 90 days. It was, it sounds corny, but it was really a life-changing experience. Since then, I've worked with various coaches almost continuously over the years, and it's made a massive difference to my own personal and business success. In fact, that first experience of working with a coach was the catalyst for me ultimately deciding that much as I loved recruitment, my true purpose was to become a coach and enable others to achieve their full potential. Fast forward to today, and I work with recruitment business owners to help them escape the feast and famine roller coaster and create consistent, predictable billings. If you'd like to know more, you can apply for a free strategy session at recruitmentcoach.com forward slash breakthrough. So you said a couple of key things. One was holding people accountable. Yeah. And the other was, um, I think it was just being in regular communication, whether that's daily or doing weekly team meetings and so on. Um, how do you physically do that? When you say hold people accountable, could you elaborate on that? Sure. Well, we have we have Friday numbers. Okay. And let's go first, how we physically do it. We do Skype. I have biz, pro Skype. Yeah. And we do, um, I just send out the link. And I say, you know, and, and everyone knows we have one o'clock meetings on on Mondays and Thursdays. Okay. And so everyone knows, you know, unless something drastic is happening, we all really do our best to do that. And then we have, I have a coaching call on Wednesday um, for anything for, you know, whatever anyone has any concerns, objections, or trying to overcome anything. I do coaching calls on Wednesday and I'm, you know, I mean, I'm here all day, every day. So people are always Skyping me during the day. How would you deal with this? How would you do with that? Can you jump on a client call? 
etc. But we have Friday numbers. And that's one of the main that was number one. When I say if I knew then what I know now, holding people accountable to numbers, Pearson's law is profound. And I not only believe it, but after doing this for 24 years, I know it's true. And that, of course, is numbers that are recorded double. Numbers that are recorded and shared amongst your peers, quadruple. And it is so true. So simply being so cognizant of what your numbers are. And I am embarrassed when I look back. I knew that from the beginning, um, but I tracked the wrong things, Mark. For For the first two years, I tracked phone hours. No, no, no. I'm sorry. For the first probably year, I tracked number of calls because when I first started, it was all about 100 calls a day. And I tracked the number of of calls. And I had one girl once saying, and I was listening to her and she kind of cut someone off. And I said, God, he was talking about what kind of candidate he wanted you know and she was like i know but i'd already been on the phone like 20 minutes and i wanted to get my number of calls in no "Ah!" (laughs) (laughs) oh no no you know when you get one on the hook you keep them on the hook right went two hours on the phone okay and i tracked that Mm. then I noticed people were telling me that they had learned all about someone's sick dog and, you know, they were just keeping them on the phone to talk about nonsensical issues that weren't getting us closer to the goalpost. They were just chatting to chat. So then I stopped that. Then I started tracking presentations, which in our verbiage, when you have a signed fee agreement, you've done the search and you have a candidate and you're giving the candidate to the client, that's a presentation. And so I used to track presentations Mm -hmm. and I would give bonuses based on presentations. Then I realized that was encouraging people to throw stuff against the wall that wasn't necessarily a good fit. Mm. And it literally was five years of doing this business before the bell finally rang and I got that the best indicator of your financial pipeline is first interviews. Right. Whether it's live or on the phone, first interviews. So five solid years. Stupid, but finally. So now I know and I, you know, it's first interviews. So, but every business is different, you know, for whatever it is, but obviously you're focusing on recruiting. So it's first interviews and tracking that. And of course, then you have to go backwards and say, how do you get first interviews? How many calls do you have to make? How many interviews do you have to get? How many presentations do you have to get in order to get first interviews? And then when you know that, then we all know what our ratios are. Cause this is without a doubt, recruiting is a numerically predictable business whether you're regardless if you're working contingency or, or, or retained, it's still, it's a numerically predictable business. And so then everyone knows what their numbers are. And so, you know, for every five first interviews, you're going to make a placement. So suddenly if you've gotten nine with nothing, you know, chances are statistically that you're due two. And I think that's so reassuring for people because it, the numbers work and they pan out 
and just being cognizant of what those everyone should always know their numbers because this is a numerically predictable business so if you're going to do this for a living you should know at any given point what's your pipeline how many first interviews do you have in your pipeline how many you know and just um it works thank you that's brilliant advice so do you how do you get the team to share that is it a we use google drive we use google drive and then everyone plugs in their numbers on friday for the week and then on our monday webinar everyone takes ownership of those numbers and we Mm -hmm. go down the list and everyone shares their numbers for the week and because i just am a huge believer it's such a long sales cycle to reward the activity because when you have the activity, the end result is a big fee. But to break that down, because a lot of people, you know, you can't wait three months for the reward. So Mm -hmm. being rewarded for having a terrific week of having seven presentations and five first interviews, that's a win. Yes. And I've also learned over the years the power of positive reinforcement Mm. and for years, you know, and we always have hundred dollar a week contests for whoever has the most first interviews, the most presentations, the most fee agreements send out, whatever, every week is different, but the power of public praise Mm. and accolades is so powerful. I was reading something that the average worker would give up a hundred dollar bonus in exchange for public praise amongst their peers. And that is so powerful. And so people do that. And just, you know, I mean, there's so many ways to do that. You know, I I just wrote an article about it recently, like for people that are physically based doing a parking space and spend a hundred dollars on a, on a sign that says top biller of the year of, of the month and let them park closest to the building or (laughs) putting out ads in trade journals that act that that give accolades to your top producer because not only does that is it worth its weight in gold but it's also a terrific recruiting pool uh tool because then other people say i want to work for that guy because he really sings the praises of their top producers and i've i've hit and met and exceeded my quota for three quarters straight and my boss hasn't said a word. So I just think always thinking of ways to give accolades is powerful. That is very powerful. Definitely. We do Friday numbers. We own them every Monday on our webinar. Everyone goes down, they talk about their, their number of presentations and their number of first interviews. And then I make a big deal, you know, obviously I make announcements whenever anyone gets a placement, but we make just about as big of a deal for good activity. Yes. Because awesome. that's what it takes, you know. I love what you're saying about positive reinforcement, giving praise and recognition. And there's so many studies to support that, both in terms of what motivates versus demotivates employees. And that ranks higher than money for yeah. the average person. Now, yeah. maybe recruiters... You know, you could argue recruiters and salespeople are more money motivated than the average employee in, you know, corporate America. But still, I think it's, you know, I still think it's valid, um, the power of praise. Another study that I looked at, I'll need to, I'll find this and I'll put it in the show notes. Um, But it was research that was done 
on how many positive uh, statements or affirmative statements you should make compared to the number of critical um, feedback. Mm -hmm. And of course, most managers would would assume it's 50-50, like I'll say one good thing and then one thing I'm not happy with, right, that I want them to improve. And the ratio is actually six to one. So for every seven uh, items of feedback that you're giving to your team member, you want six of them to be praised, finding things that you can recognize that they're doing a good job for. And um, for two reasons. Number one, if you do like the sandwich technique where you say something good and then you tell them the criticism and then you put another piece of bread on the end and say something good, every time you say a positive, they're waiting, right? They're expecting you to say something critical, right? Yeah. Yeah. And also... If you think of the emotional bank account, my kids read a really good book. Uh, I, I'm trying to think of the title. It was basically the idea that we all carry around an invisible bucket. And when you say something nice to someone, it puts it fills their bucket. When you say something uh, critical or unkind, it takes out of their bucket. It depletes their bucket. And the idea is that you want to go around filling other people's emotional buckets, if you like. And we kind of have a similar emotional bank account with our team members. And so if you are constantly filling up that bank account with, and I'm, I'm not talking about, you know, compliments or praise that are meaningless, but sincere uh, recognition for specific um, things that they've done well or, or things they've achieved where it's genuine then when you do need to, you know, give someone constructive feedback or, you know, point out an area that they really need to improve, then it doesn't deplete their bank account because you've invested in it already. So they're much better able to receive that feedback without getting defensive. And, um, you know, I saved this. You, you taught me that a couple of years ago and you sent me coaching questions and constructive feedback and I have it printed and I use it all the time. Oh, cool. I love this. And because that's one of my weaknesses as I just have a real hard, I'm a cheerleader and <laughs> I have a real hard time giving constructive feedback, but you gave me the verbiage. I mean, I literally, I have this right here. It's, it's worn. It's, faded after how many times, but you know, the whole thing on, on praise in public, criticize in private is so powerful. But then, you know, just the way you did this, how do you think, you know, how do you think it, you did? Why do you suppose that happened? What aspects are you happy with? Where is there room for improvement? <laughs> you gave me this, I don't know how many years ago, and I use it all the time. Oh, brilliant. I'm glad to hear that. To give constructive feedback and they appreciate it because I think people want to work with you ultimately to make money. Yeah. And years ago I did a, a, a recruiting seminar and it was interesting. Um, I don't know. There was about 20, 20, 30 of us in the room and they had us role playing and 
they had as you know how to talk to a client, how to overcome objections, how to talk to someone about counteroffers, all these different things. And I I won like all three things in terms of how to close for a retainer, how to you know all these different things. I won all three of the things. Then they had one guy, I think it was from MRI, and he had his wife as the office manager. She was ex-military. She never smiled. And she wasn't mean at all, but she was just non-emotional. And then they had us doing coaching meetings with people that supposedly worked with us. And so I went up there and I had this girl sitting there and she supposedly supposedly like had dismal numbers and, and, you know, didn't do anything. And I was, you know, being a cheerleader and on video, you know, it shows me I'm actually rubbing her back at one point. <laughs> I'm patting her back. I'm, you know, Oh, you know, you're so good in so many things and you're so good. And then the other woman, ex-military manager of this large MRI division would just sit there and said, you know, Walk me through your numbers. Dead silence, no smile. Why didn't you achieve your numbers? Walk me, help me understand. And at the end, they said, who do you think you would make more money working for? Everyone picked the other woman. Because I technically knew what to do, and I can do it myself, but the reason people make more when they have a manager that holds them accountable as opposed to working on their own is having a manager that holds them accountable. Fair enough. But maybe you can do that and have a brilliant supportive personality at the same time. Yeah. But still it was like so profound to mm. me that someone just sitting there saying, Walk me through, you know, you're the one that set your goals. And you gave me another sheet that I use all the time about setting your goals. And, you know, then you, you reverse engineer it. And you say, last year I had five presentations, uh, uh, seven, five presentations, three first interviews for every placement. And I made on our commission structure, 50, 50, 100,000. 100, so if I want to make 150 this year, what do I have to do? So then, you know, you break it down and, you know, how many presentations you need to do every month, how many first interviews in order to make 150 and just holding people accountable for the numbers that they made for the goals that they made for themselves. But it's not all cheerleading. It's holding them accountable, not in a mean way, but if your partners with someone and your job is to help them achieve their goals holding them accountable and you do it when you and I do things you're just like well but the next step is doing this why didn't you do it zip it quiet listen <laughs> I appreciate that because that's holding people accountable interesting oh well thank you for sharing that and that's brilliant just one more thing on that subject oh yeah I am so driven business-wise but in my personal mm -hmm. life I've learned over the years I have to pay someone to lose weight. And so I've joined these different weight loss places and it's like $1,500, $2,000. And if they have a board where they write your first name and what you lose during the week, every single time I win, I'm the top performer. <laughs> the minute 
I'm done with their, you know, I lose 15, 20 pounds and I'm done. And I'm pranced out a size six within six months, I've gained it back. And so this last time I went and I'm manipulative, I became friendly with this lady that weighed us in, you know, and I was oh, talking to her, ingratiating myself. And then she said, honey, you don't have to weigh in this time. I know you've had a hard week. And I was like, damn it. I <laughs> any weight with this one. And she didn't hold me accountable. But it's the same theory. It's the same philosophy that to have a top producing team, you've got to hold them accountable. And you're not doing anyone any favors when you say, you don't need to weigh in this week. You've had a tough week. You don't need to weigh in. Because that's not what I'm paying them for. I'm paying them to hold me accountable. That's a great analogy. Thank you for sharing that. Brilliant. And on the subject of what else would you have done differently regarding building your business? So holding people accountable is obviously key. What, what else is on that list? Well, vendors, just like I alluded to earlier, I put up with such jerky, obnoxious IT people that I didn't like, that treated me poorly, and I just felt like I didn't have an option. Like they knew my web, as if it was some big clock, you know, they knew everything, and I put up with them. And I like now, I don't know why anyone doesn't use in the, at least in the States. I don't know if they're global, but in the States geek squad, it's a hundred dollars a year and they remotely access, they do everything. And it's a hundred dollars a year. Wow. That's cool. I'll check that out. I put up with such obnoxious it people for years. I put up with obnoxious, rude, condescending SEO people for years thinking I was just going a million miles an hour tunnel visioned on this and I just put up with them and I if I could do it all differently I would not settle for that and I would keep looking for my primary vendors that I need to keep ISC running smoothly when when Again, it doesn't have to be perfect, but you have to like the person. You have to feel that they respect you and they treat you fairly and you get results. And if you don't feel that way, I would just encourage my younger self to say, force yourself to address it and upgrade and top grade and make a change rather than gritting your teeth and suffering through it because there's every single change. Now I have to say, I mean, every one of our vendors, I truly like as people. I enjoy working with them. You mentioned recommendations. I get requested to give recommendations on a weekly basis and eight out of 10 times I refuse because I think there's such an integrity issue Mm -hmm. and it's so important to me. I'm not going to put my name on someone unless I truly believe in them. And that's why I always gladly give them for you. But so many people I won't do it. And I just, I think there's real integrity in that. And, but I just wish everyone would look at all the people that they use to support their company, their team, their desk. And if it doesn't really feel positive, make a change. And I look back and I think, like, I love my SEO guy now. And I think, why, why did I put up with all these 
really not nice people. Oh, that's him and, cool. Know, Do you want to give him a shout out? What's, uh, what's Brian? it called? Well, no, because then he gets too busy to help me. <laughs> but Brian Yonish is absolutely amazing. I'm going to go visit him. I was supposed to go visit him this August. He lives in Canada on my little worldwide tour to visit my favorite vendors. But um, now who knows if I'm going to be able to go, but mm. I was going to take my son and go visit him in August. Uh, but he is just amazing. But there's good people out there and there's just no reason to settle because life is so short and why spend time and money working with people where you you don't feel positive about it, where you don't feel good about it. Oh, I agree 100%. And that applies not just to vendors, but clients as well, right? Okay. Yeah, that's, yeah. yeah, I just think life is too short. And yeah, it's just every single time I've severed a relationship, the next one has been better. Interesting. Every single time. And there's only, and I, you know, my mantra is there's only, and you, it's a self-limiting belief, but <laughs> there's only so many hours in the day. And to spend it with people that increase your vibrational energy, to increase your positive outlook, it just doesn't make sense to knowingly spend time with someone that you know is not a positive working relationship. So that's upgrading my vendors. Yeah. Holding people accountable yeah. and knowing your metrics, knowing, because don't be like me 24 years ago and track phone hours <laughs> or track presentations. It's, it, if you're going to be a recruiter, it's all about first interviews. Here, here. That's, that's awesome. And I wonder if you can just tell one more little story before we wrap up. And that is, uh, when we last met, you told me about how you got started in recruiting and you were working part time yep. and you were the top producer in this company out of 20 people or something, 32. even though you're 32, 32 people, yeah. you were the top producer working part time. Tell us that story. How did you pull that one off? Yeah, it was just crazy. My daughters were little. They were um, 18 months and six months old. And I had been a flight attendant for 13 years, but I didn't want to fly and be gone four nights a week. And I had dated a guy in college whose sister was a recruiter, and it just clicked for me. And my plan, I'm a long-range planner, so my plan was always to be a recruiter eventually down the line. And so after I had babies, I decided to explore it. And I, it, I had three interviews, and the one I wanted was the closest to my house, and they, it was a bullpen. They did no tools, nothing, but they did post phone hours. They posted, that's where I got it. They posted phone hours on the, 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 the glass door. And they had the top phone hours and the bottom. And the top was in, highlighted in green. The bottom was in red. And we would walk <laughs> up the stairs every day. We would look to see, you know, the, the, who was the top. And that's where I got—I erroneously got that it was phone hours. But I think it was good maybe as a newbie because there was no call reluctance. It was all about making those phone calls. And I talked them into it. They'd never had a part-timer before. And my dad always had a great saying. He was a college professor saying, work expands to fill the time allotted for it. Right. And... My deal with my husband was I would just work part-time. And so 
I had four hours. And, you know, I have, when I started, there was no computers. I didn't have a home computer. And there was no way I could make calls from home because I had two little babies. And so I had to make the absolute most use of those four hours. And so I just hunkered down. And it was amazing. People would be outside on the balcony smoking. They'd be in the break room reading their paper, the newspaper. They'd be wandering around. And I just kept my head down and I just felt that every minute was so valuable because there's, I only had four hours. I only had four hours. And so I, after like, I don't know, early, like my second, like, you know, my, the first week I was asking a lot of questions to my manager. And so, you know, but like starting my second week on, I always had like three hours and 55 minutes, depending if I had to go to the fax machine, if I had to run to the bathroom, <laughs> not drink before I went, so I didn't have to run to the bathroom. But I was so focused on maximizing those four hours a day. And it worked. And, you know, I produced, I was top biller, top rookie, top rookie of the year, and then top biller, top biller. And I think. I see so many people that don't produce that, oh, I worked, I had to work Saturday and I worked so many, you know, hours and, and it's like, God, you know, get your work done and take Fridays off. Just give me my numbers. You know, I, you know, everyone knows what I want because I know what it takes to be successful and give me those hours and my hats off to you. I would love for everyone in our team to hit their numbers and take Fridays off and work a four-day work week. Because all I care about is the hours. And I would much prefer someone do it in four days rather than seven. I love it. Well said, Anne. And uh, listen, on that note, thank you again for agreeing to do this. I really appreciate it. I know that, you know, with all the craziness and and um, uncertainty that, uh you know, you are super busy. So I really, really appreciate your time, man. Thank you so much. Oh, I enjoyed it. You know, I'm your biggest fan. Anytime I can help you or support you or anything, I think you're such a good guy and you're so good in what you do. You've helped me honestly so much. I credit you. I always tell everyone for my biggest, with that crazy month I had that uh, was, you know, broke my record for 144 for the month. I attribute that to your coaching, Mark. So, oh, bless you, Anne. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to The Resilient Recruiter. If you've enjoyed the show, the best way you can show your support is to click that subscribe button. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.